Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. In this special episode, Lewis and Ann are recording at the Cannabis World Congress and Business Expo, which you'll likely hear a bit in the background. Lewis and Ann are speaking with Chuck Smith, who has built Dixie Brands into a leading consumer packaged goods cannabis company by championing freedom of choice for consumers around the world. Through its licensed partners, Dixie's been perfecting the art and science of creating award-winning THC and CBD-infused products for nearly a decade. A true multi-state operator currently in California, Colorado, Maryland, Michigan, Nevada, and Oklahoma, Dixie is set to expand internationally, including into Canada and Latin America with their 100-plus products across more than 15 different product categories. And Chuck is going to talk about how it's all going. So don't sit back, lean forward. Now on to our interview with Ann, Lewis, and Chuck Smith. Hello, everybody. I got to come up with a better open than that. You know, it's just, you know, I keep hearing that Joe Rogan, hello, friends, but he is just, he is, I am no Joe Rogan <laughs> in any stretch of the imagination. Um, this is another episode of ours from the Cannabis World Congress and Business Expo. And in this episode, Anne and I got to speak with Chuck Smith, the president and chief executive officer of Dixie Elixirs. Dixie is a really fascinating uh, edibles company. Um, they make uh, just really, really great products. And Chuck has been through the wars. I mean, he has been in this industry um, five, six, seven years, maybe longer. Um, and in and everybody knows that in cannabis, it's it's you know dog years. Um, he's a sharp guy. He was really generous with his time, and he was just a really, really good person to talk with. I hope you enjoy our conversation with Chuck as much as Anne and I did. Okay, we are here with Chuck Smith, um, who uh, is from Dixie Brands, um, and you're also a featured speaker here at uh, Cannabis World Congress, so welcome. Thank you, Anne, Lewis. Um, really glad to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you here. I actually have your stickers all over my computer. <laughs> Fun fact. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> um, can you actually tell us about, and our listeners, about uh Dixie brand, what it, what is it? What's your vision? What's going on with you? Sure. No, I'm happy to do it. And again, I'm really uh, uh, very thankful to be here and happy to speak at this conference too. It's uh, it looks like an awesome, awesome event today. Uh, Dixie Brands is uh, we've been around for ten years. Um, started in the regulated environment in Colorado as a products infused products manufacturing company. Uh, but now, no, I'm a big fan. Uh, well, good. Well, thank you. Not only do you like the logo, but hopefully you like the <laughs> no, products, I like the products. Too. Yeah, of course. Um, and I think that's actually part of our heritage. So what uh, the company is, I would describe it now as a multi-state operator, soon to be a multi-country operator. But we focus solely on uh, building, developing, manufacturing, and distributing high-quality cannabis-infused products, whether that's the THC-regulated side or the hemp-derived CBD side. We have a very, very broad portfolio. What's the mix of your sales from the CBD side versus the THC side? 
Right now, the, it, the, the skew's certainly higher on the THC side uh, for a couple reasons. We've been doing that longer. We have a broad footprint now. We're in five states soon. Hopefully, by the end of the year, we'll be operating in six states. Which, Which states? states? There's uh, Jinx. Jinx. Uh, I owe you a gummy. <laughs> I, I unfortunately don't have any with me, but um, I know where to get them. So uh, we're, we operate in Colorado, California, Nevada, Maryland, Michigan, and by the end of the year, we're hopeful to be launching products in Oklahoma. And are those owned and operated, or are you licensing the brand out in the states that you are not physically in? So it's a combination of both, Lewis. Um, Dixie Brands, as a publicly traded company, does not touch the plant. Mm -hmm. So we don't really have operations direct to the plant in any of those states. What we do is provide um, the formulas, the, the, the IP, the packaging, and all of the things, the means, methods, and know-how to produce these products. Then we find a great partner in each state that has qualified to get a license by the state to cultivate, manufacture, and handle cannabis. And then we work very closely with them to ensure they're manufacturing and distributing the products to our standards. So it's a bit of a hybrid where we're not actually touching the plant, but we're providing every bit of management and oversight to ensure that our product is exactly the same in Colorado as it is in Maryland, Michigan, and California. So you're giving, um, so in Maryland, for example, you're giving your license, licensor, um, like you're supposed to use this strain and, and you know, this is the terpene profile of what should be into each of the different products. I mean, you're, is it, is it down to, Talk about the level of science that it gets down to. Absolutely. So, in general, um, we're a commercial food manufacturer, right? Or right. We oversee commercial food manufacturers. We just use a weird ingredient called THC. Now, the reality is that the oils that we use, we're not as concerned about strain specificity because what we're doing are providing a gummy product or a drink product or a different delivery system. We have over 100 SKUs across 15 different delivery systems. I, I kind of like to joke, if you can eat it, drink it, or rub it on, we make it already. 100? <laughs> yes. What's your best seller? So the biggest category for us, even though the heritage of the company is in the drink platform, and we're certainly well known for high quality, effective, uh, fast acting drinks, the reality is the highest um, growth area in the industry across the board are the gummy products or confection products. Uh, and ours is no different. Um, we're the number, number two gummy manufacturer in Colorado, for example. Uh, we're probably one or two in Michigan right now. Uh, we're growing every day in California. We have a, just an incredibly awesome product because it's very, it, not only does it taste good, uh, the efficacy of that product is good. The onset time is good. The customer's experience is good. And if you look at, contrast that to the drink and beverage category, which again, we have a leadership position in, but it generally is about 8% of the addressable market yeah. right now. It will grow, but it's a very difficult uh, segment. I am a historic consumer. Um, I'm old, I'm almost 50. Um, You're not as old as me. Well, but, but I'm not a new market entrant, right? And my, my background is the, you know, the ritual of rolling. But my, prefer, my preferable vehicle for consuming tends to be edibles. Um, but there is a lot of belief. Look, Constellation made a huge bet on Canopy, who then made a huge bet on Acreage. And, and there is the assumption that drinks are going to take off. Why is that belief? 
why why is there this belief and not only amongst you but you know i, I you it is emulated across the industry you got lagunitas who's a beer manufacturer who's in the space why is there this belief that that consumers are going to want to drink thc well i i personally believe that consumers and the growing consumer population of cannabis users is no different than the existing consumers and their preferences on what they buy in mm -hmm. non-cannabis space. So beverages are one of the largest categories of consumer products in the world. Yep. Why is that? Well, number one, if you're talking about alcoholic beverages and things like that, you're really talking about a sociability aspect, you know, sessionability. We're sitting here together We'd much rather sit here and uh, toast each other with a cocktail or, or sit around and drink a glass of wine, for example. Mm -hmm. And likely in our session of that social time, we're going to have several of them. Uh, so if you look at that analogous to the cannabis industry right now, this is a state-by-state -state mandated um, distribution model. The products are generally not low dose. They're multi-servings in a bottle. Um, and that's more for price per milligram performance than anything else. Uh, and, you know, most consumers don't want to be carrying around 100 milligrams of THC in a bottle and then sharing it with their friends and, you know, buy the capful. <laughs> what they want is to, <laughs> is to do it the way they normally do it, right? They want to take their six-pack of beer or their, you know, four-pack of White Claw, and they want to go and maybe give one to one of their friends and sit around and consume. So where I think the industry is going, and certainly where Dixie is going, right. is low-dose, single-serve products uh, in you know, a, a smaller container like a can, maybe in a four- or a six-pack. Obviously, you've got some of the cost of child-resistant packaging and so forth that's required in this industry. But if we can start getting this into a much more comparable format as our everyday life outside of cannabis, you're going to see that industry grow. Have you guys or that segment of the oh, industry right. grow? Great answer. Um, I want to talk about the, I guess, the chemistry of it because I know that there's been issues with um, creating, you know, uh, a beverage that like the THC doesn't stick to the can and the way that it's, um, you know, dissolved and all of that stuff. So you guys have figured that out and it's and it's working and. I assume since it's eight percent of your business. <laughs> well, it's. Um, it's 8% of the industry in general, okay. state by state. We capture a pretty large segment of that, certainly in the markets that we're in, because we've been doing it for a while. And that goes back to the heritage of the company. So in the early days, you know, look, we've all been working with cannabis oil for a lot shorter time than we've been working with vegetable oil and olive oil and other kinds of products that are in our normal food. So even though lots of people have cannabis experience like Lewis. Um, <laughs> and Anne. <laughs> and Anne. Uh, I'm an edible girl. Cooking, you know, cooking with it, manufacturing with it, this is relatively um, nascent yeah. stage. However, you know, Dixie's heritage is all about innovation and all about formulation. So we've, we solved the problem of emulsification and homogeneity years ago. Now, we continue to evolve this to where we're getting to things like true water solubility and true nanotechnology or particle size that allows the absorption to happen much faster. Because where the holy grail is, is to try and make a, a beverage or, or a gummy, for example, that you, you know, drink or eat, um, the same exact experience as what you expect with a glass of wine or a cocktail or a beer. And so if we can get there, 
then the consumer is going to have much more confidence in this format and they're going to be willing to bring it in as part of their everyday uh, consumption pattern. So at Dixie, you know, we are just uh, fiercely um, focused on using innovation as a weapon and to continue to evolve the use of oils in products that create that faster absorption, that faster uptime, and that more predictable uh, experience with the product. So right now, the, the, the data in the market says that it's 80-20, right? 20% of the consumers are consuming 80% of the cannabis out there. Is your bet a, a market expansion bet where you're going to say, we want to get to the, the Chardonnay or the Pinot Mom, or is this a conversion where we're going to get the hardcore cannabis consumer to convert from their vape pen or their, their, you know, their flower and get them to try drinks? I think it's a little bit of both, but if you really want to look, in my opinion, where the needle is moving, um, the, the fastest growing segment in the cannabis industry right now are adults 50 years and older, and that's actually skewing females. So you don't mm -hmm. have a lot of, you know, 50-year-old or women going in and buying, you know, a bunch of blunts or, you know, dry <laughs> flour and, and Give me a Philly wrapper uh, and exactly. a bunch of OG Kush, and I'm good to go. Now, by the way, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. No. Um, but I think that you're trying, you're seeing people entering into the industry that are looking for alternatives to things that they currently consume, whether it's an alternative mm -hmm. or a sub or a supplement to alcohol consumption, or on the wellness side, if they're looking for products that are uh, an alternative to opiates or other or sleep aids or things like that. So our job in the industry and our job at Dixie is to provide them with a broad portfolio of products mm -hmm. that allow them to have choice and also give them confidence. There are m massive constraints on marketing for cannabis, right? You can't buy a Super Bowl ad. We tried last year for acreage. We literally, that was Kev us, right? Kevin, Kevin was trying all he could, but he couldn't get that done. And, 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 and so, but how do you educate the market, right? Because um, it is both a, a nascent market and a crowded market. You are competing against other confectionery companies, other drink companies. You have limited distribution channels. So how are you educating the distribution channels? And then how are you educating the consumer as to what the Dixie difference is? You know, I think that is one of the biggest challenges in the industry right now is you get all these consumers that are coming in, they're looking for a trusted brand, mm -hmm. and there haven't been a lot of brands that are out there. There's not a lot of brand equity. I think Dixie has as high of brand equity as anyone else, you know, and herself said she's got our logo stickers on her laptop, right? And my stomach has your stickers inside it. <laughs> Perfect. So, you know, well, that makes me feel good, and I think that the reality is as we continue to build that brand awareness and brand equity, then more consumers are going to gravitate to a brand that they that they know and trust. Now they're going to try other brands and they should, but hopefully they continue to come back to us. And mm -hmm. one of the things that we're again trying to, to, to leverage and as I would say uh, you know, a competitive advantage to some extent is if, if we can just be vigilant about our processes, our repeatable processes, our formulations, our packaging, our ingredients, so that if you are in, you know, in um, uh, Maryland and you know, had a medical card and you bought a Dixie product and then you flew to Denver and you wanted to buy another product mm -hmm. and then you flew here to California and wanted to buy another product, I want you to have the same exact experience with Dixie every single time. And if you do, then I'm probably going to have your loyalty 
and, and you're gonna probably keep buying our products. And so I think building that brand loyalty builds confidence. Confidence turns into revenue. Can we talk a little bit about your cannabis journey? Um, what, how, did, how did you get here? <laughs> um, well, it started in college when I actually <laughs> uh, rolled a joint. I messed it up. It was Where all was over the college? floor. Uh, I went to undergraduate school at University of Maryland, and then I went to graduate school at Vanderbilt. Um, and I, get, I think most of my cannabis experience was at Maryland in the early days. Uh, that's the way back time machine, by the way. Um, but uh, no, in, in seriousness, uh, about 10 years ago, uh, my partner came to me, business partner came to me and said, you want to invest in um, a, a cannabis business, we want to get into the green rush here in Colorado. And I didn't live in Colorado fitting. at the time. There you go. <laughs> and very fitting. Um, and of course, I, I didn't know much about it. And uh, the reality is, in the legal regime in Colorado, I wasn't really allowed to invest in it because I wasn't a, a citizen of yeah. Colorado. You were in still Maryland at this time? Uh, I was actually, I, I had a real estate development company along the Gulf Coast. Got and it. so I was living there. I had lived in San Francisco for quite a while. Uh, but long story short, I said, well, look, I can't physically invest but I can certainly mentally invest and I can help you and yeah let's let's see what we can do and it was much more of a passive thing we both had other jobs uh, but the funny thing happened um, we started getting these testimonials and started getting people that were coming up to us more trip than myself but coming up to us and saying I'm sorry your partner's name is trip it is, yes, which is ironic, Let's but that just stands sit with for, that for a you know, the third, okay, right? Got not, it. <laughs> uh, not uh, the hallucinogenic side of that word. Um, two P's, T-R-I-P-P. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so we, um, we started getting all these uh, incredible testimonials from people that were using the products and it was changing their lives. And this is back in the medical regime of right. Colorado. So people were using our drinks, for example, uh, as an alternative to opiates. Um, we had one particular gentleman who was a PTSD victim and he was both hooked on alcohol and opiates and started using uh, our cannabis drinks. and was able to you know virtually quit and and it changed his life and so then you just kind of sit back and say well wait a minute this is not just about money even though ultimately it'd be great to make money in this industry one day um, the reality is it's about the power of the plant and it's about helping people uh, whether it's helping them have an alternative social environment or helping have an alternative did wellness you come environment. to that position or was that a, a basic thesis for you um, when you when you really started Dixie was that that you believed in the power of the plant or this was an investment opportunity and you became educated that this is real medicine yeah I'd love to love to tell you that I was altruistic from day one but no the reality was this looked like an opportunity to participate in helping to build a business that ultimately we thought somebody might find valuable and buy mm -hmm. but it didn't take long Lewis until we were like well wait a minute this is actually bigger than just that and again I go back to the fact that I wasn't at the time of allowed to actually invest in it so for me it was just all you know sweat equity if you will or intellectual uh, capital that I was putting forward in 2014 um, trip and I 
created Dixie Brands, mm -hmm. which took the, the IP to the next level above touching the plant. So now I could become an active participant in the business because it wasn't violating any state law. We were creating a company that was now an IP marketing and innovation firm that was then taking that innovation down to the level of state operators. And then that's how my journey really uh, took off. Chuck, you guys do everything from single serving um, drinks to uh, you know plastic and other packaging for your gummies and, and other edibles. This space, you know, historically has been a wash in single use plastics, um, which, as we all know, is a horrible impact has a horrible impact on the environment. Talk about Dixie's vision on packaging and, and where you are and maybe where you're going. Sure, Lewis. I mean, I think there's a couple real challenges in the industry and generally they're as a result of this, as you said earlier, being a nascent industry. Mm -hmm. The fact is that most of that packaging is as a result of the regulations. The regulations are in place to keep people safe. They're in place to prevent accidental ingestion by children. They're in place to make sure that people know what they're getting. Unfortunately, that causes an extreme amount of packaging to maintain that level of compliance. Um, Dixie has got an initiative which we started earlier this year called Go Green. And it's really to look at trying to drive every bit of efficiency we can into the business from a conservation standpoint. Whether that's changing the types of lights we use to draw lower energy or to try and continue to force different packaging alternatives uh, with our suppliers mm -hmm. so that we can reduce the amount of waste and we can increase the biodegradable uh, type products that we can use because I agree with you not only you know and the first and foremost thing we should concern about ourselves about is the planet but as a CEO of a publicly traded company I'm also concerned about the bottom line and the reality is that that packaging is expensive I I can't pass that cost all on to the consumer because you. they're you know, trying to rationalize a certain price point for the product as well. I think this normalizes over time and I think us as industry leaders have to try and force that with regulators mm -hmm. to show them that we can have a good balance of compliance and safety but also be friendly to our environment if you will. Uh, so Dixie Brands is a publicly traded company. Um, and it's a tough time to be a publicly traded company in this market environment. Um, talk about what's going on in the market from your perspective. What are you seeing and what are your investors asking you? Well, this is a podcast, so nobody can see my face. But uh, <laughs> He's smiling. I'm, it's smiling. Good, it's good. I'm smiling, but six months ago I had more hair and not as many wrinkles. <laughs> uh, it is a tough time. Um, you know, this is, unlike, this is not unlike many industries that go through kind of the boom bust and back to the boom, if you will. Uh, I think that um, there's a lot of headwinds for this industry as well, you know. CBD industry everybody thought was going to take off after the farm bill. The FDA had some other ideas on that and probably rightly so to the extent of public safety and so forth. So, you know, those things we have to adapt to. The most recent thing as everybody's aware of is the vaping crisis. Uh, that's a that's a real threat to the industry, but the reality is, in my mind, the majority of that threat has to do with the unregulated products that are out there, not the regulated, highly compliant products like companies like ours provide. Mm -hmm. 
So all of those doesn't that doesn't necessarily answer your question about you know what's it like to be a public company CEO or why are the markets so bad, but the reality is that the investors are looking for us to drive profitability. They were less than a year ago looking for us to drive expansion and growth. Uh, as that cycle starts to change. Now they're saying, well, wait a minute, maybe the cycle of expansion and growth isn't as important as the profitability and the conservation of cash. Are you seeing a difference in the type of investor where it was a growth investor early and now that people are either looking for value investor, or, you know, it's a value type play. Um, is this a, a sector rotation? You know, I, we work with the public markets constantly. And cannabis for the last, up until about six months ago, was a story sector, right? People were buying the the thesis of the comp of all of the companies. You could be anywhere in the supply chain, and you were taking off. But now, you know, really the last six months, we've seen a, a massive rotation out from the story investor to what, right? I don't know who's coming back in right now. Yeah, Lewis, that's a great question. I mean, I think that, or a great observation, frankly. Uh, again, I think what the investors are looking for, and, and when you ask me the type of investor, uh, you know, I've seen the whole arc of it being in this business for as long as I have, where it was, you know, friends and family and mom and pop, and then it became, you know, some family offices, and now there's more institutional funds that are looking at it uh, that have, you know, carved out a segment of their portfolio to be able to invest in kind of sin type stocks or more high-risk stocks. But the reality is that um, a lot of the companies that we're invested in have incredibly high CapEx requirements. Now, if you're a MSO, which is a great business, uh, but you also have a lot of money you have to deploy to build those cultivations in every state and to build those retail outlets in every state. And the revenue doesn't start the day you start the investment because the plan isn't you know, binary. It takes a little bit of time to grow and harvest and then get it into the chain and, and get it into your retail. Uh, for us, we really thought the high value of the chain was the, were, were brands. And I'm committed to that and I believe that brands ultimately will, um, will bear out as a, as a value proposition, a high value proposition for investors. But we're in no different than anybody else, which is, thank you for having nice brands. We now need to see that you're going to make profit. So our company is very, very focused now on driving profitability. And you know, I'm not in a position today to forecast exactly which month that's going to happen, but I can tell you that every person from top to bottom in the management chain is focused vigilantly on taking the existing paths we have to market, the existing distribution that we have, whether it's CBD or THC, and monetizing and investing in that to drive profitability, not just for the sake of another pin in the map for expansion. We ask all of our guests this, um, and you have a second to think about it. What is your biggest failure and what have you learned from it? That could be life or business, but well, we believe or, that failure is the best teacher. And not necessarily this business, it can be another business. Yeah, that's a, that's a hard question because I think, you know, as a person that strives to to be successful, you're not going to be successful all the time. And if you don't have your share of failures, then you never actually can appreciate and grow to have more success. Because uh, we are defined by our failures, right? The, I, 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 I think a good saying is that the strongest sword is forged in the hottest crucible. 
Um, and so I've had my share of, of failures. You know, one comes to mind in particular uh, was a technology company that I was on the leadership team of. I ran a division of that uh, company and the overall company um, went out of business. It went bankrupt and, and literally overnight. And I had a team of people that were looking to me who we were fairly successful in our area, but we got caught up in the overall uh, downturn of the company. And I remember sitting at my desk as they were coming in and repossessing a lot of the shit that was in the office. And I was making phone calls to people that I knew to try and find jobs for the people that worked for me. And I actually wasn't sure what I was gonna do next, but I just felt this personal guilt an obligation to try and help them uh, land on their feet. And you know, many of those people I still talk to to this day and they've all gone on to have their own successes, which makes me feel good about you know, getting through that rough patch. But you know, there's a lot of guilt associated with, um, with things not working out. And I think the way as a leader, you respond to that guilt by trying to be positive and figuring out the path forward. All right, we're, you've been really generous with your time. This is our very last question, and then we'll send you off to go make amazing product. You, uh, you wake up tomorrow morning, you open up the Denver Post, and on the cover of the Post is X story. What is the most underreported story about the cannabis market? Where is the mainstream media missing it? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a fantastic question, and it's, it's actually really relevant to something that happened to us this week. Uh, so I was uh, privileged, we were as a company, privileged to have a group of uh, C-suite executives from a very large retailer uh, in our offices in Denver. And one of the first things that they said, uh, kind of as we were going through some Q&A after they spent some time with us, was, we're just stunned at the level of professionalism in this industry. And I think that's kind of one of the underreported things that, you know, this is an industry that, you know, we live on the tip of the spear. You know, we are working through poor banking situation, hopefully going to be fixed by States Act or safe, the Safe Banking Act. We got a punitive tax code that hopefully will be fixed by the States Act. We have different regulations in different states. We're still federally illegal, clearly, so we have that overhang. And we also just have an, an overall uh, challenge in, in this industry of all coming together and building this industry for a sustainable future. But the people that are here are incredibly talented. And I think that that's what surprises most people and because they have a preconceived notion of what a marijuana person or a marijuana company is We're and not it's all the farthest from the truth. Burned out stoners, you know. It's, so I, it, think, I think the more we get that word out, um, the more that we have an opportunity to expand this industry for diversity mm -hmm. and for adding, you know, much more of a social awareness and much more inclusion, uh, this industry has an opportunity to be one of the only industries that focuses on diversity and equality and inclusion. We have a chance to do that right now, and, and, and I think it's our responsibility to do it. Those are the stories that should be reported. A special thanks to Chuck Smith from Dixie Elixirs. Um, I hope you found that conversation as interesting as Ann and I did. Uh, we did a lot of really cool uh, interviews at the Cannabis World Congress, and Chuck was one of the best. Um, so, 
If you'd like, you can reach us on Twitter with the handle at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast. As always, you can drop me and Nick, Shay, Gretchen, or anybody an email at the at greenrush at kcsa.com. We are always looking for feedback, guest ideas, um, bad dad jokes, because that is my bailiwick. Um, most importantly, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. The more that you guys do that, the more people can find it. And you know, if you enjoy it, hopefully they'll enjoy it. And I know I keep saying this, but I really want to thank you for giving me your time. You know, Ann and I don't take it for granted that you could be doing anything with the 20, 30, 40 minutes that these episodes run. And by choosing to spend it with us and listening to us, it is an intentional decision you are making. And we really appreciate that. So with that, that's one take, Shay. One take.